every now and then there's a message that I look especially forward to, and, and this is one of them. Uh, it's very interesting that I rarely cross paths with like a true bona fide atheist, especially in the Midwest. Most people, most people I talk to who aren't Christian, they do sense or do believe that there is more to this life than this life, and they're just trying to figure it out. In fact, 80% of Americans believe in some sort of afterlife, and three out of every four say they believe in heaven. And one of the primary challenges and pushbacks I've heard over and over again as a Jesus follower and as as a pastor is surely, surely there is more than one way to get to heaven. Surely there's more than one way. I mean, there's got to be another way or another system besides the Christian way and the Christian system to get to heaven. And I can fully appreciate that. In fact, logically, it would make sense, right? Okay, if there is a big God who's big enough to create the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe, surely, surely he didn't limit access to him through one door. Because, and that's a totally fair question, and I've heard this often. In fact, some of you this morning, you would say, you know what, I, I, I believe all the Christian stuff, I believe the Jesus stuff and all that, but I don't necessarily deep down feel like or believe that Christianity is the only way. I mean, there has to be other ways too, and that's what I want to talk about today. And to do that, I'm going to address the foundational premise, the foundational assumption or idea that supports this idea that there are many ways to get to heaven because most people you know, and some of you that are here this morning, you'd say, I I believe there's more than one path or even many paths to heaven. And pretty much everyone who believes that there are multiple, multiple paths to heaven also believe something that supports this premise. And I want to talk about this something else, and it's this, that good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Not only Christians, but good Christians go to heaven. Not only Jewish people, but good Jewish people. Not only Catholics, but good Catholics, or good Buddhists, or good Muslims, or good Hindi. It's not just one specific faith system or one specific group that's going to be there. Uh, It'll be all people, all good people from those groups go to heaven. In fact, the person that believes that there are many roads to heaven often also believes that there are people who aren't associated with any particular belief system, but they're good people. Uh, The common denominator, and again, this is the key, the common denominator for everyone that will make it to heaven isn't a specific belief system or the identity of who their God is or how they pray or how they worship. The common denominator is that they're good people. The common, so consequently, God isn't limited to one specific avenue or one specific religion. He's basically going to gather up all the good people, whatever good means, the qualified people from all the religions, and they're going to make it. So Christianity is just one avenue, again, assuming that you're actually a good Christian and not a dirtbag Christian. So many of you, for many of you, if I were to ask you, do you believe that you're going to go to heaven when you die, you would say yes. And if I were to ask you, well, why? Why do you believe that? Uh, most of you would say, well, I, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times this happens in conversations. Almost always that, that I get something added. I'll hear something, you'll add something like, and I do my best to, you know, be a good person or to be a good dad or to be a good wife or a mom or a dad. And, you know, I, I, I never killed anybody you know, and, you know, but I'm not perfect, like, you need to tell me that, like, we need to tell people I'm not perfect, like, they didn't know, like, wow, I'm shocked, I, I thought you were, I mean, so let's just assume that people know that you're not perfect, especially those that are closest to you, okay, 
And if I were to ask you, well, why are you going to go to heaven, in your mind, you would begin to tell me some of the things that you've done or what you've not done or how you try to be a good person. Now, why do you do that? Well, because in your heart of hearts, like most people in our society, while you might throw Jesus in for good measure, uh, deep down you believe that God is going to gather up all the good people from all the different religions possibly and all the different denominations, and they're the ones who are going to make it. In fact, of those that believe in life after death, 84% believe that a good person who's not of your faith can attain heaven or attain salvation. Now, one of the things that I've shared here often is that when I meet people for the first time, they don't know it, but we have engaged in a game. We've engaged in a contest, and the contest is that the game is this. The game is how long can we go before you find out what I do for a vocation and a living? And that's the game that we play because the moment people find out that I'm a pastor, you can immediately see the wheels turning in the head like, oh my gosh, how many times did I say the F-bomb? Did I swear? They quit cussing. Uh, They assume that I can talk about nothing else but church and God. Like he couldn't possibly know anything about adventure or travel or sports or fun or anything relevant to my life. So they just assume it's like, oh, you're a pastor. Well, uh, you know, I went to church when I was a kid or I lived near a church one time or, you know, and suddenly apparently we have to talk about their church attendance you know, or their bad church experience. But the interesting thing is I have a very difficult time getting most people engaged in a conversation, a serious conversation about heaven. It's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, I I believe there's a heaven and I believe that I'm going there. Well, really, why why do you think that? And, And most often it's just kind of a general like, well, you know, I try to be a good person, uh, can we talk about something else? But the, the assumption, the assumption, and what they believe with that saying is, if anybody's going to make it, I am. I mean, if anybody's going to make it, whatever the qualifications are, I'm sure I'm at least passing. I'm sure I'm at least average. I mean, I know there are better people that are better than me, but there are for sure people worse than me. And the general assumption is that good people, good people are going to go to heaven, not just And maybe not just Christians or any one group. God's just going to gather some of all of them because good people go to heaven. And you know what? There's something very appealing about the the notion that good people go to heaven. And do you know why you like that way of thinking? Well, because you're good, of course, right? I mean, you look in the mirror like, I'm an okay person. I'm a good person. I try to do this or try to do that. It's just like uh, there are no bad people here. I know that. Okay, you're you're good people. Uh, I've never heard anyone admit there's a heaven. I believe good people are going there. I'm not one of them. I've never heard anybody admit that. And again, of the three out of four Americans that believe there's a heaven, almost the same percentage believe that they're going there because it's good for good people. It's for good people, and I'm good enough. And here's why it's helpful to believe that good people go to heaven. I mean, first off, it's a fair system, right? And it's a fair system because in your home, whether growing up or now, it's you know, likely good things happen when people are good and bad things happen when people are bad. Okay, if your sibling or your roommate or your spouse or kids are bad, bad things happen. And in our society, typically good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. It's just sort of inherent in our, inherent in our culture and our life experience. And it seems like a fair system. And it's certainly consistent is certainly consistent with many of the stories that you read in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And the other advantage of thinking this way is you'll make the cut. 
Because like I said, you're good people. I already know that's what you would tell me. You're a good person. So one of the advantages of believing that good people go to heaven is you're going to go. You're going to make the cut because you're a good person. And the third advantage is, is it, it kind of motivates you. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, if you live your life thinking that good people go to heaven and bad people don't, well, you know, I'm not sure exactly what good is. I feel like I go, I've got a sense, so I'm motivated to do good, especially as you get closer to the end of your life, okay? You begin thinking, you know what? I don't have as much time as I used to. I better man up or a woman up, and I, I need to do as much good stuff as I can while there's still time left. It's like the man who years ago said about his parents who had become grandparents and how patient and kind and loving and generous they were with their grandkids. It's like, those are not the same people that raised me. Those are just old people trying to go to heaven, okay? So it's motivating. And lastly, it's just very consistent with the idea of a good God. I mean, if there's a good God who lives in a good heaven, it should be filled with good people. It just makes sense. And we could go around the room and come up with dozens of other reasons of, of, of why the good people go to heaven philosophy. It just seems logical and practical and easy It just to buy into. It just makes sense. In fact, it makes so much sense that I feel like very few people have ever actually stopped to actually evaluate the concept. So this morning, it's an approach to addressing this other question of how can there just be possibly one way. I want to talk about the problems of, 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 of the good people go to heaven view. Because again, chances are many of you believe, uh, believe that, and for sure you have people in your life that believe that. So all I want to do is to get you to think about the fact that there are far more problems with believing that good people go to heaven than believing that Jesus followers go to heaven. So I'm just going to give you three problems. And the first big one is this, that there's no clear standard of good and bad. There's no clear standard of good and bad by which we can check our progress. And this is a big, big deal. There's no clear standard. And if good people go to heaven, well, then we need to know. We need to know what it means to be good. And we need to know how good is good enough. And we need to know, is it a scale thing? Is it a pass-fail thing? Uh, but we don't know. I mean, if there is a God up there who one day is going to say, okay, you've passed, you're good enough, you're in, well, that God owes it to us to give us some idea as to what good is. I mean, if my eternity, if my entire eternity hinges on good people go to heaven, well, certainly this person who is God, and good, a good God and a good heaven who's going to gather all of the good people ought to be good enough to make it clear to me and clear to you what is good and how good is good enough. And the truth is, we don't have that information. Though some of you would go, well, Immediately, immediately inside. Yeah, we do. We do, because in America, what a significant portion of Americans do is, like, they go right here. Like, like I got a Bible. For those of you that this paper, this is Bible, okay? So, it go, the Bible says, or the pastor says, or the pastor says that God, the Bible say, you know, like, love your neighbor, and love God, and be kind, and be obedient. So, Chad, I'm just trying to be a good person. I'm just trying to live my life by the Bible, because this is a good book from a good God and a good heaven for good people. So I'm just trying to do everything that I can to live according to the Bible, because the Bible is all or it's partly from God. So I figure if this is the target and I shoot for it, well, th this should be good enough. This ought to be good enough. Now listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. If this is your goal, 
you will never be good enough. If this is your target, you will never be this good. The standard is too high. If only the people that do all of this, what's in the Bible, go to heaven, none of us are going to heaven. You really need to understand. I mean, if you respect, if you respect this gathering of documents, though for some of you you'd say, hey, there's some parts that I struggle with, like this creation and Noah and all that, but, but, you know, but there's something in you that says, you know, this is something good, or there's stuff that's in here that's good, and so I'm just going to shoot for this, even though I'm not perfect, because again, we didn't know that already. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you real quickly what the Bible says about itself, though for the record, I hardly ever say the Bible says, because the Bible doesn't say anything. Moses said something, Elijah said something, Jesus said something, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter, they say something. But I'm going to use the broader term the Bible says because so many people do. And here's the problem with using the Bible because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says all. How many? All have uh, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means everyone tries, nobody makes it. Second one, there is no one righteous. Not one. The Bible says there are no good people that you, you go, well, the Bible, I mean, God gave us like all of this to, to tell us how to try and be good. No. The Bible has some things you ought to try and do, but after you've done all you can do and failed, the Bible says in the end, nobody ultimately is good. That there aren't any good people. That's what the Bible says is true. The third thing is that no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. That is that when you die according to the Bible, specifically according to the Apostle Paul in this case, God is not going to look at anybody and go, you passed. You did a good enough job. You did a good enough job keeping the law and the rules. You're in. The Bible says that's never going to happen. Nobody is righteous enough according to the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, the reason God gave us the law wasn't to give us a checklist and go, okay, you keep this checklist as long as you keep so many, you get to go to heaven. That's not it. Rather, God gave the law so that you go, wow, I'm broken. I I need help. I need help. And here's why this is important, because most of you were born in America, most of you were raised in the Bible Belt, and there's just something hardwired into, into us in our conscience that says that, that this is a good book, and God is a good God who lives in a good heaven, so I'm just going to do my best to do what the Bible says, and then God's going to go, you get at least 51% credit, you pass, the scale's tipped to the good, you're good enough, you're in. And you need to know, and you can read this for yourself. If this is your standard, or maybe you know a verse, you know a few verses, and it's like, doesn't the Bible say, and you kind of put together this verse and this passage and something a preacher said, you can put together your own formula for what is good, uh, but I'm just telling you, don't use this, because you're not that good, and neither am I. So there's no verse, there's no verse that says if you're faithful and, and you try to keep all what's in here and you do your best to do the Ten Commandments and keep the Ten Commandments, you get to go to heaven when you die. It's not even implied. It's not in there. 
So somewhere in the back of your mind, you just have either believed or assumed that good people make it, bad people don't. I mean, go ahead and believe that. But if you factored in any part of this book, you need to take it out because the standard is too high. Now, some people would say, well, I don't get my standard necessarily from the Bible. I get my standard of, you know, good people go to heaven, uh, the standard of right and wrong, and good people go to heaven from my belief that God has put in all of us an innate sense of right and wrong. That God has just put this innate thing of good and bad in us, and we all, we all know. We all know right from wrong. We're all supposed to just do our best to do what we know is right. And if everybody would just do what is right and do what's good according to the innate sense of inerrant sense of right and wrong that's in all of us, that God, what he's going to look at is he's going to look at our motives. Did you do what you knew was, did you do what you knew was right and not do what you knew was wrong? Well, Something to think about is, did, I mean, you know this, right? That every major war that has been fought was between two different groups who thought they were right. I mean, you know that, right? That, that at any point you could go to side A and go, well, why are you fighting? And they would have said, well, we're right. And a lot of times they would have said, and God's on our side. And then you go to side B and say, well, why are you fighting? Well, because we're right and God's on our side. It's like, poor God, he's schizophrenic. He can't figure out what side he's on. Closer to home, not that many years ago, in this country, some of us white people, some of us white church people, had very confused thinking about black people, didn't we? And if you'd gone to any of those white leaders back then and said, why are you doing this? Why are you treating black people like this? They would have said, well, because we're right. They believed they were right. Now we look back and say, well, not only were they wrong, but we're embarrassed to be associated with them. It's like we can't believe people treated other people that way. But in the moment, at that time, they believed they were right. And they were quoting scripture. And they believed God was behind them. They were right. Now, were they right? Well, I don't think so. I assume most of you don't think so, but they thought they were. They thought they were sincerely going by this internal sense of this is right and this is wrong and this is good. Nazi Germany, same thing. Religious people persecuting Jews, and they were convinced that they were right. In fact, some years ago, I was visiting with an older German man whose dad fought in the German war as a Nazi in World War II, and he looked me in the eye with complete sincerity he said, what did they do wrong? The Nazis weren't wrong. What did they do wrong? He thought they were right. I think they were wrong. But who am I to say, right? I mean, we think they were wrong. But they thought they were right. But how do we know? I mean, you say, well, it's obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious to them. Hundreds of thousands of them died for the belief and believing they were right. A few hundred years ago, as you know, Anglo-Saxons arrived here and exterminated or chased off all the Native Americans off their land. It's like, we are here for religious freedom, except yours. We want your land, okay? And those times are horribly embarrassing to us now. But at that time, at that time, they thought they were right. And they would hold up their Bible. And they would preach it in the pulpit. They thought they were right, and the Native Americans thought they were right. See, if I'm going to go by this internal gauge of right and wrong and good and bad, here's the problem. 
You can go into different societies in this world and you can get on the same page on ten topics of morality because what you think is different from what they think. And it changes as I get older. I mean, isn't it true that there are things that you consider wrong now that you considered right when you were younger? And so the problem is, even if we go by this little internal gauge that, that tells us right from wrong, there's just so much contradiction. And there's so much contradiction from generation to generation and based on geography and what part of the world that you're born and lived in and the culture, and there's just no consensus. There's not even consensus in this room on right and wrong, much less between races and nations. In our lifetime, there has been, and there is right now, ethnic cleansing going on in the world right now. Myanmar, Ethiopia, for example, it's happening. And if you were talking, if you were to talk to some of the people that are committing what we would consider atrocities, many of them have religious reasons for what they're doing, and they think they are dead right. And they're willing to die for it. They're convinced that they're right. We're convinced they're wrong, but how do we know? See, if good people go to heaven, there's a huge problem. And the problem is we have no earthly idea what good is. And you can't drag this into the equation. And all it does is just leaves us with what other people have philosophized about and written, but how do they know? And if it's true that good people go to heaven, uh, whoever God or whoever created this whole thing, they owe it to us. They owe it to tell us, to tell everybody in the world at the same time, every generation, what is good so that everybody can know. Now, if one of your problems you have with Christianity is that you think it's not a fair system because everybody doesn't get to hear, well, you need to know if you believe that good people go to heaven, you have the exact same problem. Because where's your God? And why hasn't he or she or it communicated to the whole world every generation for all time? And it gets worse. I mean, there's another problem with the good people go to heaven strategy. And that is that we just don't know how the whole thing grades out. In other words, we don't know what percentage of our actions have to be good to make the cut. Is it 51%? Is it 69%? Is it 70%? If, if I asked everybody in here what you thought, you'd have an opinion, but you don't know. It's just your opinion. Do some things weigh in more than others? I don't know. We're, we're quick to say, well, I never killed anyone. Well, how do you know that's the big one? And you say, well, the Bible. Nope. Can't use that. Besides, everyone picks and chooses from the Bible what they want to use, but this isn't about the Bible. The other question is, when does the grading start? Is it when those little two-year-olds become demons? Is it, when, you know, is it adolescence? Is it a after adolescence? And you go, surely adolescence doesn't count. But we don't know. Is it 13? Is it 14? When we're so, oh my gosh. When does it start? Some of you, you're in big trouble. Because you don't have enough time left on this earth to make up for all the bad you've done in your life. Okay, you, it's like you could do good from here to your last breath. It's just like you just don't have the time to get enough good to outweigh the bad. You can't ever get back in sync with God. And you go, Chad, that's, okay, that's just silly. Okay, it's silly. But if you're honest, if you believe good people go to heaven, you have no earthly idea where you stand with God. You've made up a system in your mind, picking and choosing different things you were heard or taught or were raised with, and, and here's what's important to God, and here's what's not. And if I were to ask you, well, how do you know 
that's important to God. You would go, well, it just is. And what you're really saying is, I've taken all these bits and pieces growing up and what I heard and learned, and I've created this reality in my mind that fits me. And then I say, well, since it fits me and works for me, it must work for God. And you see, as much as you might think Christianity is, is unjust or unfair, I'm just telling you, this system of, of belief is actually worse. It's worse because it's like a teacher who at the beginning of the semester says, class, there's going to be one test. It's going to be at the end of the semester. It's going to be pass-fail, dismissed. Um, yes, you in the back. Any notes? No. Is there anything we can read? No. Is there anyone we can talk to that's gone before? No. Class dismissed. It'd be like going to work and somebody saying, you know, go, somebody saying, hey, we're going to hire you. Come on in. Three months, we're going to give you an evaluation. And if you do good on the evaluation, you get to keep your job. Great. Can I get a job description? Nope. What am I going to be evaluated on? Not going to tell you. Be like signing up for a race, you get to the race, and there's a starting line. The starting line, the starting line is clear. But you line up, you think, okay, uh, how far are we going to run? Nobody knows. Um, I don't see any markings. Is the track marked out for us? Nope. Where's the finish line? We'll tell you when you cross it. Bang. Starting goes off. Everybody just runs every direction. Just, I just want you to think. Whether it's for you, well, for some of the people in your life, that, 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 that if this is a situation, good people go to heaven. This is a situation. Because you have no idea. You have no idea what's good and how good is good enough. You have no idea where you are in the race. You don't know how much time you have left over. You, you don't know if the good has outweighed the bad in your life. I mean, you might have some idea, but you made it up. You just make it up. And if you're waging and hinging your entire eternity on something you made up, I have to tell you this, but you're, you're not that smart. And neither am I. And, and then here's what we do, especially like if you say you, we're a Christian, uh, the habits that, and the sins that I don't wrestle with, I'm sure God really thinks those are bad, okay? But the ones that I wrestle with, God understands. Like he understands, right? It's like you know, those things that aren't even temptation for me, I think God hates those things. He hates those sins. But, but of course, and, and go like, look, I don't even do any of that. Well, of course you don't. It's not a temptation for you. But the things that I wrestle with, the things that I'm trying to get over, the bad habits that I've formed, we're just sure that God understands. We just made all this up. I'm just telling you, as many problems as someone might have with Christianity being an unjust system, I'm just telling you the problems with believing that good people go to heaven are far, far more complex. You see, a teacher that won't tell you what's going to be on the test, that is not a good teacher. That is not a just teacher. An employer that won't tell you what you're going to be evaluated on is not a good or just employer. Somebody that organizes a race and there's no clear map and no clear finishing line marked out, that is not a fair race. And to believe that good people go to heaven is to embrace a system that is so unjust and so unfair that it breaks down with even the least bit of examination and analysis. I, and I know, I know Christianity 
is tough at times. I know there are some questions that are hard to answer. And again, like I've, I've dealt with this, you know, like, for example, like, well, what about the people that never hear or live in this remote place? And let me just say legitimate questions. They're legit questions that we wrestle with. And, 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 and to, but to think that there, there aren't answers or there's hard answers doesn't mean there aren't answers. Don't believe there aren't just because a freshman uh, philosophy or English teacher told you differently. As you know, a person can be persuasive and be wrong, okay? If good people go to heaven, we are all in trouble because none of us know where we stand. Now, here's the, the, the last and probably the biggest problem with good people go to heaven with that strategy. It makes a liar out of Jesus Christ. It makes a liar out of Jesus Christ. You know, in all my years of being a Jesus follower and talking to people, I've never been able to get a person to just look me in the eye and say, I think Jesus lied. I mean, people who don't even believe that he is the Son of God, I can't get them to say he lied. Here's what they say. I don't believe he said that. I just don't believe he said that. Come on, just look me in the eye and say you think he lied. Just look at... Jesus lied. I can't, no, I just, I just don't believe that he said that. Why can't you say it? Because there's something in nearly all of us that we would rather believe that he didn't say what he said. But here's the problem. If good people go to heaven, then Jesus lied. Because you know what Jesus taught? He taught the opposite. And you need to know this. I mean, no one, no religious leader ever taught this. Jesus taught that bad people go to heaven and good people don't. That's what Jesus taught. If you don't believe me, pull up your Bible app, dust off your Bible, fact check me. Back then, there was a whole religious group, all these religious leaders, and their whole job description could be summed up into like two words, be good. This is your job, be good. They washed a certain way, they wore certain clothes, they had to do certain things a certain way on certain days, and their entire life was just consumed with be good. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, part of the reason they had to be so good is because the Jewish law taught that one day the Messiah, the Savior for the Jewish people, was going, to, was going to come, and they were going to be the ones responsible for identifying who the Messiah was. So they had to stay very, very much in sync with God so that they would be able to identify the Messiah for the people. So they were very holy and very religious and all about following the rules. And Jesus came along and was talking to the crowds and the outcasts. And he pointed and said, see these folks over there? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, those are the good holy people. He said, let me tell you, unless your goodness exceeds theirs, you're not going to heaven. But Jesus, they're like the goodest people ever. Like, I mean, there's just nobody gooder than them. And Jesus says that may be true, but unless your goodness, unless your righteousness surpasses or exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the common person is like us. Well, then why try? Why try? What's the point? I mean, the common person didn't even have enough time to be that good. And then Jesus did the strangest thing. He would walk up to people who were unholy and unrighteous and bad and say, I love you. You're forgiven. I don't condemn you. You're free. But Jesus, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to earn that. It's okay. You're forgiven. But I haven't been to the temple in months. It's okay. You're forgiven, not condemned. You're free. 
He taught that the best of the best weren't making it and the worst of the worst were forgiven. Do you know what else Jesus taught? Or what, what, do you know what Jesus taught and believed? Jesus didn't believe or ever teach that good people go to heaven. Jesus taught that forgiven people go to heaven. And there's a huge, huge difference. I want to read to you just a quick story from Luke chapter 23, and then we're going to wrap up. Because if there's anything in you, or again, there are people in your life that, that, that believe that somehow that, that it teaches that good people, good people make it. This story will put that whole theory to rest. I don't know of a better illustration. Luke 23, verse 32. This is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Two men, both criminals. What were they? Criminals. Okay, this little Greek word for criminal was used in other Greek literature at the same time period and was often used to refer to as pirates. Okay, and not like the romanticized, you know, with the you know, peg leg and the parrot. Okay, like the bat, they would come in, take what they wanted, kill everybody on board. Okay, these weren't just criminals being crucified. These were the worst of the worst. These were men who were so out of control, they couldn't even be, even be trusted to row in a Roman galley, galley. They couldn't be trusted to be chained ankle to ankle with other men and row under a Roman ship. Uh, th- these men uh, couldn't even be trusted to be made slaves or be used for manual labor. Uh, these weren't just your basic thieves. Again, these were the worst of the worst, or they were considered an enemy of the state. And now listen to what happened. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, help them to be gooder. Help them to be more good. Help them to be good enough. No, he prayed for what they needed. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lot. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And we know from Matthew that the other criminal had hurled similar insults at the beginning, but something changed. And look what happens. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly and are getting what our deeds deserve. You know what this guy recognized? He recognized that he was being punished justly. In other words, he's saying that even by human standards, I am such a wretched person that I deserve to die this kind of death, not even by God's standards, just by human standards. I'm so bad, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, too bad, so sad. You didn't do anything good. You're not good enough. No, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And then they both die. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, you get that rededication from a cross doesn't mean a whole lot, right? Like, like, like from here on out, I'm going to be a better husband and a better man or a better whatever. From this point on, I'm going to turn things around and change things. No. See, he knew better than that. You see... The thing that makes Christianity different 
different from everything else that you could explore or look into or think about is Christianity is not about D-O. Christianity is about D-O-N-E, done. Jesus' version of Christianity teaches that forgiven people go to heaven. And the way that we're forgiven is to throw ourselves at the mercy of the only one who could pay the price for our sins. And the way a person becomes a Christian is by doing exactly what the criminal on the cross did. He recognized his need, and he recognized who Jesus was. He says, remember me, because I need someone to remember me when you come into your kingdom, because I believe you're the king. And I believe that if there is any hope for me, it is certainly not in my deeds, because my deeds are what put me here. If there's any hope for me, it is you. You are the king. And Jesus said, that was all I was looking for. You're forgiven. You're in. Now tell me, what could be possibly more merciful and unjustly biased towards us than that. Yes, there are some difficult things about believing Christianity, and, and we're going to talk more about those things in the coming weeks and months, and, and there are answers to questions, but I'm telling you, Christianity is the most just, most fair system possible in an unjust, unfair world. Let me summarize it in just three statements. Through Jesus... Everyone is welcome. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone is welcome. The second is everyone gets in the same way. You don't have to guess, is it one of three or 15 or 15 or all this? Jesus said, I'm going to make it simple for you. Look at me. I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, so turn to me. Everyone's welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. And everyone can meet the requirement. Can you think of anything more fair, more just, more loving than that? One of Jesus' closest friends, John, he, he summarized it this way. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever tries really hard and keeps the Ten Commandments, know that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let me illustrate it this way. And just look carefully. I'm going to ask a question. Am I trusting in that chair? It's not a trick question. No. I'm not trusting in that, in that chair. Let me try this. Chair, I believe in you. I believe you exist. I believe you're blue. I believe that you have the strength to hold up this 208 pounds. I'm going to tell the whole world about you. Am I trusting in the chair? No. What about this? Am I trusting in the chair? And see, this is where most people are at. Am I trusting in the chair? Not really. I mean, if the chair tips over, I'm okay. Jesus' brand of fellowship, of what he was inviting us to do, calling us to do because he loves us, is this. 
See, we, we see in Scripture, we hear teachings or we hear pastors and talk about believe, believe, believe. And yes, believing is a part of it. But if it's a belief that doesn't transfer into us putting the weight of our entire being on Jesus, we're missing it. This is what Jesus is inviting us to do. That we put the full weight of our life and trust on Him. So that's what we're invited to do. Becoming a Christian is not putting, it's about putting all of our trust in Christ's death on the cross as payment for our sin. It's not about what I do. It's about trusting in or placing my weight upon what He has already done. Jesus doesn't teach that good people go to heaven. He teaches that forgiven people go to heaven. And forgiveness is found by placing our trust on, putting the weight on the one who died on our behalf, the perfect one, who was, because he was perfect, the only one who was worthy to pay the price for our sins because he owed nothing. So I'm going to ask a question and, and then we're done. Has there ever been a time in your life as an adult, and by an adult, where you were old enough and cognizant enough to have a time where you made a conscious decision for yourself? A conscious decision to quit trusting all the promises that you've made or are going to make and quit trusting those promises on what you have and haven't done. Has there ever been a time in your life when you remember saying, God, I understand I don't need a second chance or a third chance or a tenth chance. I need a Savior. I don't need to try harder. I need a Savior. Has there ever been a time in your life where you, like the thief, said, I recognize who Jesus is and I need a Savior. I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus, as my Savior. And if not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. I'm going to give some of you an opportunity to say, you know what, I've heard it all my life. I've sort of believed it intellectually. Uh, but the truth is I've never fully put my hope and trust in Jesus. But today I want to take it to the next level. I want to make it personal. I want to put all of my personal faith on Jesus for all my personal sin. And for some of you, I'm giving you the chance to go, you know what, I've, I've sort of been doing the Jesus and me thing, and if Jesus isn't quite enough, I've tried to do some good things, and if my good things, you know, i got Jesus there to make up for anything uh, and make up the difference, but if you've never made a solid decision that if I were to stand before God, I'm not going to tell him about me. I'm going to tell him about my faith and my hope in Christ and what he did on the cross. I'll invite the band to come on up. I'm just telling you, I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had with people where we begin to talk about heaven and they almost never start with Jesus. They almost always start with what they believe or have believed or been taught or what they try to do, what they were good, but that today could be that day where that stops and say from this point on, I recognize and I'm going to put all of my faith and all my hope in what Christ has done for me. And if you've never done that, I want to just give you a chance this morning, uh, right where you sit, whether you're in the room or whether you're joining us online, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can just repeat this prayer after me, or you can use your own words. But, but listen, praying a prayer is not what saves you or makes irrevocable peace between you and God. It's just an outward expression of an internal decision, like what, when I stood before God, friends, and family and said words and a vow to the woman that became, became my wife, expression of something that was already there. But I'm going to say a prayer, and you can pray after me, or you can use your own words. 
And to help out, I'm just going to ask all the Jesus followers that are in the room to pray this out loud well, uh, as well so that no one is praying alone. So would you just bow your heads and pray out loud with me? Just repeat after me. Here are some words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus is my Savior. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And I'm asking for forgiveness through what Christ did for me. Right now, I'm putting all my trust in Christ's death on the cross as the payment for my sin. I'm not trusting in me and what I've done and never done. I'm trusting only in Christ. Thank you for receiving me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.